Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. We stream live at richarddugan.com and newspress.com, and we archive these programs at richarddugan.com, the radio show's page. Very excited to have you on in the program with us today. Joining us here on this conversation we're going to have, we're going to be talking about, um, I use the analogy very, very often uh, in these interviews about, uh, I use the analogy of a toolbox. And how we're just trying to give you more tools to build the kind of world that you want to live in. And so um, we're going to do that again today because there's a new book uh, that is a toolbox of multicultural, multi-faith prayer with hundreds of prayers for raising, rising above the environmental devastation, devastating wars and uh, injustice that are going on around the world. I've often heard it said that in many instances, these kinds of uh, um, uh, situations are sort of an embodiment, if you will, of what kind of internal struggle is going on more within each one of us on a collective level rather than uh, as individuals. But it, it represents that as well. The book that we're going to be focusing on, the concept, the ideas, it's a great idea, a great project having to do with prayer. It's called The Prayer Project. Together, we can change the world. Now, I've often said that there are certain myths, uh, diving into our Mythosophia concepts that we have every uh, last Sunday of each month, uh, has to do with the fact that you can't change other people. That's what you're told as you're growing up. I found the reality is just the reverse, that you can by changing yourself. With us on the program is the author of The Prayer Project, uh, Paramahansa Jagadish. And I thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for uh, sharing these concepts and ideas with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. First of all, I'd like to get a little background uh, on you and your life. Uh, I am I was one of the one of the main reasons I was so intrigued that I wanted to talk with you. I wanted to interview you was your name. My um primer. Uh going back to 17 years of age. My metaphysical primer was Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh great, right. By Paramahansa Yogananda. Exactly. Very good. So, t- thank you. Tell me how you came to this, I, I will call it, a- a- this wonderful name. Well, my name is Jagadish. That was given to me by my spiritual master. And Paramahansa is a title that's only given um, by by seniors of any given tradition um, who has has, um, you know, lived with or done the retreat practice with and therefore knows the attainment level of any given individual. And so after 30 or more years of doing um, intensive practice both in India and in at home in America and other places, um, I was there in 2007 when one of the senior Babaji's of my tradition, a great saint, um realized that I had attained a level uh, to be given the title of Paramahansa. So that's what he did. Now, I'm curious. Um, certainly, humility would dictate that you didn't really know that you had attained that level, or did you? No, no, no. I mean, I I knew 
um, that I had attained uh, liberation because that was actually um, um, uh, uh, predicted, not pre- well, predicted by my own teacher, of course, but also it was checked out by different holy people of several different traditions. Um, but Paramahamsa is a title more of just becoming liberated. It's also having virtues, developed virtues, and in my tradition, it talks about having attainments that go beyond the level of liberation. And your traditions stem, do they stem from the same source, if you will, as Paramahansa Yogananda and uh, his uh, ascent, uh, descendants or ascendants, I should say? Yeah, we can say yes and no uh, in a general way, yes especially because I come from a Bengali tradition, and he was a Bengali person. So we can say that Ananda Moyama, Paramahansa Yogananda, and Ramakrishna Paramahansa, all are Bengalis, um, as well as other people that are known in the West, uh, Vijaya Krishna Goswami, and um, um, I can't think of the other person right now. Um, but they uh, were some of them were freedom fighters uh, during the time of... Um, uh, in, a, in the early 1900s, and uh, they were all great realized beings, uh, realized. And so, but in another way, uh, even though some of these people that I just mentioned, they know of my tradition, my tradition is a very specialized tradition of the divine lovers of God, or the lovers of God. And our our traditions practices are very a little more intense than most other people's practices because we're attaining a level that goes beyond liberation. I I have to say I, I I'm I'm sitting here listening to you rattle off these names and it took me a long time because I have the book on in audio form the Paramahansa's book. Um, uh, or I should say Yogananda's book. And uh, so I learned how to pronounce them. I was uh, pretty sure that the gentleman that was reading was pronouncing the names correctly. But I always found it really interesting when he would refer to uh, Lahiri Mahashai, um, Uh that he would always, it was almost, early in the book, it was almost stilted. Lahiri Mahashai. And and then, of course, later in the book, it was just rolled off his tongue. Lahiri Mahashai. (laughs) And, right. and of course, uh, um, it's it's to me um, not just the book itself is a wonderful book, but also the, the the stories, the metaphors, if you will, the symbolism, all that entails this. I actually know another gentleman of the same um, the same lineage, I should say. He he runs an organization here out of. Uh, I want to say out of Montecito. He has a hermitage here in Santa Barbara, Montecito area. Um, uh, Swami uh, uh, Vivekanishan, uh, uh, now I can't say his name. Uh, it's um, the Self-Inquiry uh, Life Fellowship. Okay, and, great. And, and he and I chatted, and of course his guru um, had a guru who was Sri Yukteswar. And so I said, well, it sounds to me like you guys are just different branches of the same tree. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously you would come from that same perspective that, you know, you're just different branches on off of the same uh, very grounded, centered tree, as it were. So yes. how is it that you and came to encapsulate in this work 
and in this concept of creating the three-minute, three-times-a-day solution for world change, all of these various uh, uh, belief systems, philosophies, religions, whatever whatever title that you want to, to give to them, um, one that I was acquainted with for about a year and a half was the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm, yes. and, and looking back on that, and still having a plethora of the books and printed materials uh, in my collection, my library, um, I found it quite wonderful, uh, the level of acceptance. And I think one of the, the things that I liked most was, and I wish that other religions could incorporate this, when you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. When you reject one of the messengers, you reject them all. Because they're all coming from the same source. Share with me your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, they're coming from the same source, but what level of the same source would be the question that I entertain? And so uh, my tradition is a little bit different than uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's and the others that you mentioned. Um, they come from the Kriya Yoga lines. And although I did study Kriya Yoga for a while, I finally found my my uh, root teacher, my main teacher, and my tradition to to be the in the divine love of God tradition, where we meet God face to face directly, and interact with God, and which takes a lot more uh, work, if you will. Um, but that can be the focus of another talk uh, at a later time. But yeah, when when one becomes liberated, one is situated in the realization of truth, in the luminous realization of truth. So you know uh, the unity of the world, you know the unity of uh, God, but you also, if you go further than liberated state of being, you understand there's different levels of intensity of manifestation of God and the interaction that you can have with God. And so from these exalted states, then you can see certainly that the religions that were created around some of the luminaries that came to the planet, um, that, that, um, that they point to at least the same basic level of uh, living a virtuous life, of attaining the realization of yourself, self-realization, and later attaining the realization of God on some level. So yes, in that way, they're all going. We're all going towards the same goals. Mm-hmm. But it's after those beginning goals of liberation and realization uh, where some of the traditions differ. What I find so fascinating about the diversity of uh, um, I, I want to use one word to to describe them all at the same time <laughs> uh, philosophies, I could say belief systems is that when I was growing up in this industry broadcasting, working for a Christian radio station, the one thing that I was having trouble with was that concept of um, this is the only way. Now, I was born and raised Catholic, and of course, uh, in the 60s and 70s, that was very prominent. This is the only way, and everyone else is going to hell. Uh, The Christians that I associated with through the radio station, it was their same attitude. Uh, and what didn't mix with me was the, the, the fact that, okay, 
on a on a level of um, ingestion of food and drink, there are literally millions of possibilities that I can choose from to sustain my life and to satiate my taste buds. Right. When it comes to education, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of different possible directions that I can go uh, in terms of educating myself in a particular discipline, uh, be it nuclear physics or uh, gardening or whatever the the discipline might be. And yet you're telling me that on a spiritual level, there's only one? That doesn't make logical sense. No, that's what I'm actually saying is that there is, in a way, there is not one. Yeah. Uh, There's one... There's one absolute original source God, and from from that everything comes. Mm-hmm. But everyone has a different level of access, uh, different realizations that only access certain levels of that completeness. And yet, when you access liberation and beyond, then you you um, feel a, a completeness because you've become liberated. But there's actually many many levels beyond that. Of, of, like I said, experiencing uh, the intensity of the interaction that you have with God after that. Mm-hmm. And what I, I'm go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Um, the other the the trouble that we get into being on this planet, which is a somewhat low lower grade planet, is that the proselytizing religious traditions that exist, whether they're religious or spiritual traditions, the ones that are proselytizing, they have to say that their way is the only way. And those are the traditions. There's only two or three of them that exist on the planet as far as religious traditions. And they will always be the ones who are fighting um, and causing trouble on the planet. And that's where people uh, despise religion. But these same religions have a mystical side to them. Christianity and Islam both have a mystical side to them Mm -hmm. where you get to experience uh, what some of the scriptural works are saying, not the dogmatic parts, but the ones where you realize God face-to-face somehow, in some way or another. That's hard to see amidst the fighting, though. (laughs) It's very hard. Very difficult to see. And Buddhism is another proselytizing tradition, but they're the ones who cling to nonviolence, and so those are the ones who are going to be fighting the least, of the three religions that are proselytizers. Yeah, I I uh, I have to say that it's it's such a um, uh, and I know I'm not alone, uh, but it's such a frustration to to watch these conflicts around the world going on based upon religion. Yes, it's true. It's and, very sad. And it's like, really, you believe this stuff over here, and you're doing this. Yeah, they, they, it's exactly. like it's like oil and water. Yes. And it's so sad because on the one hand, and this is interesting, this is the way something that was a kind of explained to me as as an attempt to help me to understand. <laughs> um, I uh, I found it interesting because the way they described it, they said that. When people come into this world, when, when souls come into this world, they take on roles. And the roles that people are playing today are ones that they chose. They're only fulfilling their, uh, not destiny per se, because we can still change. We don't have to do that. But they choose to maintain that role 
and kill or be killed and on and on and on. And that if that's the case, in other words, if we're all just actors on a stage performing, that's my role. So how can that be right or wrong? It's just a role. And I don't, part of I don't me, really, I, I kind of understood it, but I thought, uh, but I have a feeling that, I, and I want you to elaborate on it, because I have a feeling I probably lean more towards what you're about to say. Yeah. If you're liberated from your gross ego and, you, and the, the bulk, excuse me, the bulk of your negative karma, then you are, you have much more freedom in life. And you are, um, in a way, on a stage. Um, but you act as a bodhisattva. You act for the benefit of others. Uh, the rest of us, we're not really um, uh, that free to act. We're acting out of ignorance. And we're acting out of being bound by our negative karmas from all the many uh, thousands of past lives that we have lived. So it's a very different story. It's it's out of ignorance that we cause pain to others. Mm. That I can fully understand. Um, and it's, it is, again, it, it's one of those things where you can take on whatever philosophical bent you want on it. The fact of the matter is that it's still, again, it's still so frustrating that in one sense, and this is where we're going to head in the, in the rest of this program, in one sense, there's nothing I can do about the conflict in Gaza between the Israelis and the Palestinians. I mean, there's, and I say this with all due respect. Right, I understand, yes. They both should be pushed out into the sea off of the Gaza Strip. You don't deserve, neither of you, you're both just as guilty. But then again, that attitude does not show a great deal of um, compassion and understanding. Right, right. Uh, well, but it's I like would, two two-year-olds. Yes, I agree with you. I wouldn't say that each uh, party is just as guilty, because that has to be critically analyzed. Um, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes, you know? I do. Yeah. Generally speaking, they're both guilty, of course. Anyone who causes death and suffering on that scale... Um, uh, it might be right people for this planet, but but not to uh, uh, evolve. We don't evolve that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, yes. Um, in a way, there's always been strife in this world, and it seems like it will just continue. And so we we this is the training ground for us to become better and better people. And as we become better, then the planet. Um, uh, becomes a little bit better at times. Yeah, at times it does. And, yeah, and we want to kind of leave. Go ahead. If we can galvanize millions of people on the planet to do, to create a, a force field of benevolence and ask God or the divine, whichever way you relate to this um, great uh, sacred energy, to intercede and cleanse and balance and purify the hearts and minds of all beings on the planet and all beings in the universe, then we will affect a very, very great change on the planet. Um, but it takes a lot of dedication for us to be doing this. Would you agree that those who have sort of chosen not exclusively the monastic life of prayer and meditation mm -hmm. are... In a manner of speaking, the ones who are, at least at present, they're kind of the glue that's sort of holding us all together 
Because if they all of a sudden stopped, there would be even more of that which we would like to change, <laughs> more of the chaos and the destruction and the devastation. Uh, do, do you do you uh, sign of sort of of feel that way? Well, they say that it's the mystics who are the glue of the world that keep it going, that keep it together. But it's the people who um, are in the world, living in the world as mystics, or as training to be mystics, if you will, are the ones who do the necessary actions to uplift the world um, uh, day to day. Mm. I like yeah. that. So uh, we can talk about it in many different ways. But, uh, sure. Yeah, but uh, a lot of work that um, uh, people are doing in the world now is very, very good work. Uh, But there's a lot more to overcome in this world also. Well, now, um, one of the, I think, the frustrations for folks is, uh, and I had to deal with this same kind of thing in other areas of my life, is that you know I I really don't have the time. My life is just too busy to, I mean, even you're saying three minutes that's the three minutes, uh, three times a day. That's nine minutes. It's almost ten minutes. I really right. don't have. I've got. I've got to get up and I've got to get myself ready to go to work. I got to take care of the animals, and yeah, then yeah. I get on the road. I can't do that while I'm driving. You know, it's as bad no, as no, texting. No. <laughs> I disagree. I okay. disagree. With okay. You. But you you first start out with the foundation. Like I have a few prayers that I want to uh, say over the radio station at some point. Yes. Um, you start with those prayers once or twice a day, and then you feel your prayers at any time. While you're driving, you send out a feeling prayer of, God, intercede and uh, pour your benevolent um, uh, wisdom in the hearts and minds of all beings on the planet. You can do that 500 times each day for 20 seconds, even. And if you do this committed prayer, that's where people, what people will be doing. They'll spontaneously prayer, pray without words, um, just in feelings and thoughts, uh, etc. And they'll, they'll be doing it 30 to 50 to 100 times a day. Mm. It is, uh, I remember the quote uh, from my primer that uh, Teresa Neumann, uh, uh, I read this somewhere else also, but I was introduced to her there. She said that uh, God lives amongst the pots and the pans. <laughs> That's a good saying. <laughs> and I, I, I really love so. It, she, and God also lives uh, uh, between the the tire and the road, <laughs> and so on and so forth. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, in terms of uh, the question um, that was posed to me, it's been posed to many people over the years. You know, what are you trying to do? Change the world? And of course, my answer: Yes. I'm trying to change the world. I'm not real happy, and I know there are a lot of people that are not real happy with the way things are. But then that also sort of flies in the face of many of the traditions that speak to the issue of the illusion of the duality, when in fact there is no chaos, there is no plus or minus, uh, positive, negative, etc. It all just is. It's only our perception, and if we would get to that point— and make peace with the world in which we live. What are, what are your thoughts on that concept? Well, that, that, that is all good. That's an absolute view that perfection always already exists because the relative world does not exist. 
Um, but there are many traditions, including my own, that understand that there's a relative reality to what's going on. And like Buddhism as well, um, we must do what we can in a sensible way, coming from wisdom, um, uh, to help uh, in ways that we can help. But the greatest way we can help is becoming virtuous, illuminated beings ourselves, becoming liberated um, in God's divine energy and existing from that place moment to moment all the time. Um, So we need to do everything. And everything includes... Give me a list. Uh, Give us a list. Um, (laughs) I know it would take a long time, but give me the top ten. Becoming virtuous... Um, peeling away the layers of ignorance, um, uh, understanding what a bodhisattva activity is, the activity of pure, benevolent uh, assistance to others, but also doing our own prayer work, our own meditative life that flourishes within our hearts and minds at any activities that we're doing, and becoming liberated beings, becoming liberated in divine love of God or divine love of the divine. Mm-hmm. we might say, and um, being responsible to all things, uh, including ourselves, and being loving, kind, and compassionate also to all things, including ourselves. I have to say that that uh, my observations of those who have accepted different philosophies um, I think of one organization, for example, um, they're, they're um, a Year Without War is an organization that exists, and that's what they're shooting for 2020. And um, basically, not just a 72-hour ceasefire, right. but a 365-day ceasefire. And then at the end of that year, you want to go back to fighting? Have at it. You know, I mean, obviously, this past year has meant nothing to you. I often wonder about that story we hear about from World War One, for example, Christmas Eve. And the soldiers on both sides, at one point, they stopped their fighting, and they sat and they broke bread for several hours. Oh, nice. And then they went back to fighting. Yes. And and I thought, what happened? Yes. (laughs) In a manner of speaking, what went wrong that you felt you needed to go back and and start killing one another again? Exactly. It's it's really sad. Well, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk more about... Uh, the prayers. I'm going to have you share with us some of your thoughts as well as prayers uh, from your book. And the book title is The Prayer Project. Together, we can change the world. It's just three minutes, the three days a week solution for changing the world, uh, for world change, actually. Paramahansa uh, Jagadish is my guest, and I'm Richard Dugan, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. And we ask you to uh, stay right where you are. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us. As we continue our conversation with Paramahansa Jagadish, the prayer project, Together We Can Change the World, the three-minute, three-times-a-day solution for world change. And uh, from, uh, the, the, from the example that I gave earlier uh, or late in our last segment in regards to a particular view of this is 
just the way that it is. This is this universe. This is this realm of duality. It's all an illusion. It's Maya. And if I just accept that, then I can be at peace in whatever chaos exists. Um, I know you don't cotton to that particular philosophy. Uh, and I know some people who do, and they find great solace in that. And that's wonderful. But it doesn't really solve uh, the 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 issues. So um, there's there's an interesting example I want to give you of a Christian minister many years ago who at the time there was a hurricane that was um, barreling down on, I think it was the Gulf Coast of, um, I want to say South Carolina, I think it was. And uh, on his television program, he's one of these television evangelists, he encouraged uh, all of his uh, uh, viewers to pray that God would redirect the hurricane. And the hurricane was... Um, the hurricane changed direction. Don't know if it was because of their prayers. And why would the prayers of Christians be any more or less powerful than those of the Buddhist or the Jew or the Muslim or the Sufi or any other philosophy you want to label? So my question to you in regards to this prayer project is how powerful are uh, is prayer and to what end should we be praying yes yes um that's a good example of how powerful prayer is when many many people come together and focus like that Mm -hmm. and so since i come from a what we'd call a transcendent or transcendental type of um lineage uh tradition then I know that God has much better wishes for us than what we can think of. And so I ask people to pray for their own purification, pray for the purification of the minds, uh, the the thoughts, words, and deeds of of all humanity, Um, but also leave a space open for God to, to bless this world, to bless us, with what God wants to bless us with as well. And now that's an interesting, uh, so to speak, twist from my perspective. Um, We can take the position that, you know, we're not happy with the way things are, so we're going to participate in the prayer project, uh, as you've laid it out in your book, and we're going to pray for a a, a change, a miracle, if you will. Um, I don't know whether a prayer that the Israelis and the Palestinians would throw down their arms and start embracing and and apologizing for for the, the wrongs that they've each done to one another and get about the, the 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 task of living the life that they've been given or turning a hurricane or or whatever the case may be um I guess, where is, from your perspective, the best place to start? Well, I think it's all good, um, but I come from a place of, of the uh, kind of a universal way that if we pray for the purification of the thoughts, words, and deeds of all the leaders, people in leadership around the whole globe, the whole planet, then that's going to... Um, bring us into a state of benevolence between humans, between each other humans, humans in nature, 
um, the ecology, uh, all of all of the different things going on, poverty, abuse, uh, greed, um, you know, corporate greed, all of those things. Uh, um, uh, so that's how I approach that. But if people are called to more specific individual crises, then by all means get involved that way. Mm-hmm. Um, um. In terms of this, the, the, the tangible—I'll I'll use the word tangible because it's in a book—the uh, prayers that you have put together, uh, first of all, how did you go about uh, collecting them? What was your criteria, uh, criterion for compiling uh, the, the collection of prayers from these various and, in some instances, somewhat diverse uh, belief systems? Yes, well, I've done a lot of training in Hawaiian spirituality, Buddhism, and Hinduism. So I started collecting what I liked from those places. I went online and found a lot of other uh, things going on, uh, like the UN, uh, the UN peace prayers um, that they wanted to seed uh, the world with in all from all traditions. So I liked that that was popular at one point in time, and it was a great effort by the U.N. people to put that together, so I included that. Um, and then I uh, went online and, and saw other things that I included, some suggestions from other people, and then some of the musicians and other important people in the world, um, icons of the world, I, I added some of those prayers. And the work the book is by no means finished. Um, I wrote it uh, nine or ten years ago, and um, I put it out just two months ago because it had to come out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, I feel it would never be finished. Um, so we we put it out. Well, and I'm glad you did. Uh, uh, from my perspective, we can use all the help we can get. <laughs> yeah, I think so. When you and and so you're you're I'm not going to ask you. So what's your favorite prayer in the book? Because I don't think that you would put it in that context. It's is there? Um, I know a lot of folks. They're they're they want structure. They want formula. And of course, in the Bible, Jesus gives us a formula for of prayer, as referred to as the Lord's Prayer, starting on Our Father. So I'm curious as to the prayers that you have compiled in this book. Uh, is this something that we just kind of like um, from a metaphysical perspective, if you will, or more of a spiritual perspective? Do we just want to, I'm just going to flip open the book. Oh, I'm on page 73 and there's a prayer about love your enemies. Or, yeah. you know, open it up to page 44. Oh, there is a prayer about universal peace and friendship prayer. Very good, yes. Um, I would say to do it that way, after you do the basic approach, the prayers to begin with, uh, the three times three approach, which is on page 20 and 21 okay. of the book. And did, did people, does the audience know that they can either purchase a hard copy, meaning a actual physical book online, or they can download a free book at the website? And the website is? The website is prayer-project.com, prayer-project.com, and you can join the email list, the newsletter list, and you can uh, download a free PDF copy of the book there. I think that's a great thing. I happen to have the uh, hard copy in my hands, 
and uh, I, I am turned in my hymnal to page 20. <laughs> yes, okay. Shall I go through the prayers, the three-part prayer I want people to, to start with? Please, and I think that it would be very appropriate because people could then take this segment of the program and maybe put this on their phone and put their earbuds in and listen to it and follow along, if you will. Oh, very, very good. Very good. So when we start with prayer, we can do it spontaneously, but also we can also take a few moments to breathe deeply to feel grounded to the Mother Earth, and to be focused or centered in the Sacred Heart Center, where your true spirit exists, your true nature, your spirit, and also God exists in the heart of all living beings as well. And then we can begin the three-part prayer. And when I say God, uh, you can say anything you want in the sense of the divine or the original source of all divine, divinity, uh, etc. So I'll begin with the prayers. God, I humbly ask for your blessings to purify my body, mind, and soul, and restore me to my natural condition of love, peace, joy, and wisdom. Amen. So that's working with ourselves. And the second part is asking the intercession, the divine intercession of God to purify all beings. Most loving and compassionate God, the divine power and energy of the universe and beyond, I humbly ask for your blessings to purify and illuminate with your light, love, peace, and wisdom all beings of the universe, all beings of the earth, all beings who are in power and affect the lives of others, especially our government leaders, business and financial leaders, and our spiritual leaders from the entire globe, that they may all be cleansed and purified of negative motivations and actions and filled with your light, love, peace, joy, and wisdom, Amen. And then there is a third prayer. Yeah, the third part is a let it let this happen, let this be, let it be done. So this is let this happen now within me and spread around the world, transforming and bequeathing all noble qualities and actions expressed and enacted everywhere upon everyone and everything. Amen. Amen to that. And the above can be uh, can be repeated in uh, many times, uh, as often as you like. Um, I, I remember an interesting experience I had. I used to produce a radio program on the Christian station. It was the Radio Family Rosary Hour. Oh, beautiful. The weird thing was, it was... Only a half hour. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I remember getting a phone call from one of our listeners complaining, just going off the rails about how unbiblical it was and on. And I mean, they, just, they went on and on. And so I did a little research into the prayer. And what, and of course, I was quite familiar with it growing up as a Catholic. And uh, I responded to this person that uh, there isn't one word in that recitation that isn't in the Bible. You, I mean, if, if, if that's going to be your criterion for whether it's a valid prayer or not, every word is in the Bible. 
It's been put together in such a way as to help people in, in sort of a meditative posture focus on the divine, if you will. Yes, very good. And I, I, I just, I thought, why, why is there so much? I sometimes wonder if there's that much um, negativity towards something of that nature, then it must be good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I always found that the majority of the Catholics that I um, uh, came in contact with as I was growing up were all I, I perceived from them such a loving and gentle soul and okay. demeanor. Very nice. Uh, I've also noticed, too, uh, because I've had the great privilege of, of going up to the um, SRF center here um, north of or south of Malibu. Um, uh, in Pacific Palisades and uh, uh, being around folks who have taken on that particular uh, 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 philosophy, the same kind of thing, the same demeanor, if you will. Exactly. Yes. Living the truth, living yeah. their truth. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very good. And everybody has to find their own path. They have to find their own way, don't they? Um, yes. To the one. I, I, what I'm saying is that we're all individuals. Yeah, and we're, we're not talking about something that's cookie-cutter. Um, truth is the truth. So whether it's cookie-cutter or not, it's beyond whether it's cookie-cutter or not. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So some, yeah, some people may say, I'm individual, therefore I need to do my own path, and I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I'll make up this and that. And that might, that might elevate them for a while um, or elevate them completely, but there are also time-tested traditions mm-hmm. that exist mm-hmm. that one can follow and and even go uh, because you have all the help of of thousands of great siddhas and saints, fully perfected, realized beings who help you when you join the true, genuine traditions that exist in the world. So, um, if you think that's that, uh, um, in other words, we don't want to. Um, be avoiding uh, true and genuine traditions because we want to become be individual. Do you know what I mean? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So we don't throw out the bathwater. Um, exactly. You know, we, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So exactly. Um, yeah. So and uh, we want to find something that's true and that has a pathway, uh, like exercises, if you will, that lead you to the realization that uh, comes, uh, that's talked about in the, um, the books themselves, right? Like Hinduism and some of the other traditions, they give you the philosophies or the belief systems, if you will, that are experiential. So you don't have to believe them. You just have to have an open mind and start doing the practices that they talk about. And then you'll attain those same realizations. Hmm. So the belief and the faith, actually, the faith that comes in those traditions comes through experience rather than believing uh, what someone wrote at any given time. Now, now this, the answer to this question may seem obvious, but I'm going to ask it anyway. From your perspective, what is uh, the difference between prayer and meditation? Uh, that's a very <laughs> difficult question because, in many ways, there is no difference.
difference. Meditation is a communion with the divine, and prayer is a communion with the divine. So in that way, they're the same. Um, uh, I I think I leave it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Each of them uh, have an active uh, way of going about them, prayer and meditation, and each of them have a passive way of the communion with the divine. One of the interesting analogies, uh, well, let me back up. Uh, Our listeners are familiar with a series of programs that we've been doing uh, throughout 2014. The last Sunday of each month, we focus on mythology. And Ah. the program's called Mythosophia. Um, And basically, we, uh, we engage in the depth and wisdom of mythology. And one of the programs focused on an analogy that I brought up in another broadcast uh, regarding a, a television character, uh, as it was, I, I say character in a singular sense, but it was, it was a science fiction program called Star Trek, and the character was the Borg. But it was a collective group of individuals who were receiving information from the source, their source, to carry out respective tasks. Each one had a different job. No two people were, no two individuals were doing the same thing, but all working towards the a common goal, the big picture. And I used to look at that and think, well, in a way, isn't that what the spiritual life is kind of about? When we listen to that still small voice inside. We're never really given the, a view of the big picture, but we are given guidance. We are given instruction, and no two are given the same. And yet, we're all fulfilling our roles in that big picture. So when we pray or, and or meditate, as you've said, communing with the divine in both instances, in a way, that's kind of what we're trying to do is... Uh, I need some guidance here. I need some direction. What's my next step in this process in my life for the greater good, for God's will? Again, however you want to phrase that. Right. Exactly. Your thoughts. Oh, that's wonderful. That's And that's mostly picked up by the Western world. The mm-hmm. Western psyche is wanting individual guidance, uh, special attention, and things like that. And and that's fine, that's okay, and that's good. And we know that the author of Star Trek uh, did seed um, his his writing of those episodes with a lot of spiritual content uh, and stuff like that. But then there's the tradition, the Eastern traditions have a different perspective. It's more collective perspective. Uh, we know that these certain practices that you do that everyone does them correctly, and and individually you'll go through whatever uh, the burning of different karma, the burning of negative attitudes, and all of those things. You'll go through those individually, but the practice is the same for everyone who does it, and the outcome is the same. Liberation from the gross ego, liberation from personal suffering, and existing in the divine light and illumination of God or the divine uh, for the rest of your days that you're on earth. So, so those are two different perspectives. Do you understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, go ahead. 
And so hopefully we can marry the two, where people can feel self-empowered um, and, and yet uh, not feel that they have to be special, um, <coughs> and they can come together in community, whether they're doing a practice of Paramahansa Yogananda's lineage, the Kriya Yoga practices, or whether one's doing the mystical Christianity practice. We can still come together and do our, um, our prayers together to improve um, the um, benevolent qualities of the people in leadership on the planet. So again, whether you come from Judaism, uh, the mystical side, or the uh, the practicing side, uh, or any of the other traditions, the indigenous traditions, the native traditions, uh, the Hawaiian tradition, um, and all the others. It is said that a miracle is that which defies the known, I, I'm going to put it this way, the known laws of nature. What miracles have you experienced through the prayer project, or at least through what has become the prayer project for you in this hardcover form in your life? Um, the, experience, the miracles that, that you will experience is, uh, and I do myself, is even a more opening up of your life, even more synchronicities, even more joy and connection to the divine. Um, and the prayer project is really only two months old, and so it's actually a young little baby, right? Sure. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it hasn't matured enough um, yet to develop in the community that we want it to become. We're hoping to get at least a few thousand people, and really I want a few million people to participate, whether it's in this prayer project or someone else's prayer project. It doesn't matter too much to me. But we want millions of people to be galvanized into this dedication of uh, three times a day, dedicating a few minutes of your time three times a day to pouring your, out, uh, your heart out to God and asking for this divine intervention and purification of the hearts and minds of all beings. There is a prayer project pledge that goes as follows. As a Prayer Project Pledge signee, I commit to engage in prayer for three minutes, three times a day, morning, midday, and evening, to support healthy environmental renewal, great, great happiness, respect, and peaceful collaboration amongst all peoples on the planet. I may also elect to share this joyful commitment with others and therefore become a Prayer Project Ambassador. This is something that is available within the cover of the book. It's available on the website, which is prayer-project.com. And the author of The Prayer Project is Paramahansa Jagadish. And we're talking about this aspect of, of prayer. And uh, I remember as a kid growing up, uh, um, uh, Jagadish, that as a Catholic, I thought a little boy thinking, okay, well, uh, maybe my, my destiny is priesthood. And probably every little Catholic boy thinks that, that that's their, that's their uh, uh, life's purpose, uh, only because of maybe the role models that they are seeing as they're growing up. And obviously that wasn't my, <laughs> didn't wind up being my path. Uh, but nonetheless, you talk about the mystical side of the various uh, of faiths. 
And I think about that, too, because uh, there is uh, the, my mother did me a great service at the age of 16 when I did not want to go to mass one Sunday morning after coming home from delivering the morning newspapers all over town. And I she says, well, OK, then you don't have to go. And years later, I asked her why she did that. She says, because I didn't want you to turn away from the church. Now, I'm no longer a practicing Catholic. However, there is an enormous amount of love and reverence for the ritual and the tradition. And as you say, the mysticism of uh, the Catholic aspect of, uh, of Christianity and I think that's one of the things that really draws, keeps drawing me back to a lot of these things. I mean, when I, I found it fascinating, there was a period of time when I was drawn to all of these different people, such as yourself, uh, who uh, were coming from the, the Indian, the, uh, uh, the continent India, Indian tradition, of, uh, 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 the philosophy that Yogananda was, was really promoting uh, here in the West. And it's like, okay, is that my pet? I mean, I'm in my my 50s and all of a sudden I'm being, uh, you know, bombarded by this thinking, am I supposed to go this way? (laughs) (laughs) You know, is this what God is trying to tell me? (laughs) And I found it so fascinating to to uh, just the energy that that would would come from these individuals, including yourself, uh, who are they're just it's, it's like they're just trying to help. You know, they're really trying to and and sincerely and earnestly wanting not only to make a difference through their lives, but in the lives of the people that they come across. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, I don't think God will dictate what spiritual path we, we do. Uh, our karmas dictate that, um, working through us as it piques our interest in things that we practiced before and uh, stuff like that. So it's it's us who need to make the choice. I want to do this. And I found a person who will guide me in these teachings and these practices, and I'm just going to go for it. And you may stick with that teacher the rest of your life, or you may find that that was a perfect stepping stone for a, another path that you'll find yourself on. Hmm. Um, uh, so... It's a variety of things, and luckily our own spirit is innate within us so we can attain liberation and self-realization without the help of anyone, if we're sincere enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there uh, ever a question in your mind at any time, even up to the present, where you questioned your path? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We all go through that. The dark night of the soul. Ah. Uh, different things like that, yes, yes. Mm. Uh, every time I hear that phrase, dark night of the soul, I think of uh, Robert Bly's uh, uh, book, uh, Iron John, and the, the conversation he has regarding uh, what's called the catabasis, or the bottoming out. You've reached the bottom. Mm. And now okay. the, only where, the only place you can go now is up. You, <laughs> you can't yeah. go any further down. You're there. <laughs> it can't get any worse. Uh, now it can only get better. And again, it's that, that aspect. But because that is part of uh, us, that dark night of the soul. Of the soul. Of the soul, yeah. Um, how we, we have that as a, a species. We have that uh, as human beings 
in a collective sense, we have the, I mean, we, we, we see the dark night of the soul in yes. different parts of, of the world. Right, right. Is that something that, uh, and this is not acceptance, uh, not saying, oh, no, that's okay, go ahead and keep doing that. But is there a certain, um, I'm not sure what word I want to use here, how do we, how do we address that? only address it by um, one thing is accepting that those parts within ourselves uh, that's the first step we can go to is accepting those darknesses within ourselves and and cleaning up out that out of our psychophysical field or the soul um, the spirit doesn't go through any dark night it's the soul that goes through the dark night so as bound individuals we go through that and as groups of bound individuals with nationalities, the nations go through that as well. Um, we can pray. Pray is one of the most powerful vehicles to actually create a wave of cleansing energy that goes around the world endlessly. If there's a large enough community around the world participating, then, then these things will be cleansed, and the, the result is maturity, People, individuals will mature, and as many as individuals will mature in a nation, then that nation will mature. Hmm. And so we want to gain maturity in the world, spiritual maturity and human maturity. Now, you made a differentiation there in what you said between the spirit and the soul. Can you give us a somewhat clear or clearer definition of the two? How are they different? Yeah, the spirit is the drop of the ocean of God, or the spark of the fire of God, if you will. It's the, it's who we are, our sacred identity of pure divinity, of pure light, love, and um, happiness. So that's the spirit. That's who we are. That never dies. When the body drops away, then the spirit moves on. Uh, the spirit is in, encapsulated by the soul. The soul is our memories, our actions and memories and experiences that we've lived over many different lifetimes like that. So we purify our soul to realize the spirit within. Hmm. Yeah. I like the I like the, 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 the differentiation. I know a lot of people sometimes use those terms interchangeably. Exactly. And I also know, too, how important using the right words, because each word carries with it its own energetic, its own power. It's one of the things, too, and I want to dive back into the issue of prayer regarding the power in words. Uh, These prayers that you have collected, they um, they must have, you must have sensed, uh, that power in those words and phrases to have incorporated them in this prayer project? Uh, yes, of course. Um, some of the prayers I added uh, just for the benefit of popularity also. Mm-hmm. So there was different motivations in going. That's why this book is never going to really be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I may come back in about five or ten years when I can get some free time. <laughs> I might revise the whole book and and add some things that I didn't add. By the Uh, way, when you do get some free time, I'd like to buy a little of it from you. (laughs) 
<laughs> but let's talk about the power of words. Uh-huh. Okay. I'll, I'll phrase it this way. How powerful are words and how do we go about choosing the ones that can really make and elicit the, the greatest change? Um, I think it's the purification of the soul that we, that we want to go for. It's more than the words. It's the purification of our soul, meaning the purification of our motivations, our attitudes, our reactions we have towards ourselves and others and to life itself. We want to cleanse and purify all the things out of the subtle instruments, the chakras, the meridian lines, all of these things, when they're purified uh, to greater and greater depth, to greater and greater height, then we will feel our spirit and we will act from our spirit, which is a part of God also. And I think that's that's the importance we need to find. Um, words... Um, the only words that have the true power, transcendental power, are words that come from loving kindness and compassion. But the transcendental power of words are the holy names of God. So if we want to do something, we can repeat the holy names of God with love and devotion. I learned something very interesting uh, not too long ago in one of our um, Mythosophia programs, we had a professor of Islamic studies, and he shared with me the correct translation of the name of God, as we've heard many times, Allah. Okay. And Allah is not translated God. Okay. It's the nothingness. And the other phrase that we've heard many times is Allah Akbar. God okay. is great. Okay. But he said that actually what that means is that the nothingness, uh, it's, it, that, that, that God is greater than the nothingness. Yeah. And so if your concept of God is, say, the room that you're in, the four walls, God is greater than that. And then if your God is as big as the block... He's bigger than that, and so on and so forth. And if he's as big as the universe, he's bigger than that. Uh-huh. And I use the word he uh, just for, for right, right. clarity. Right, right. We can use she. Um, so she, then when we come to the nothingness, is God greater than nothingness? Yes. that's that, And it's sort of a paradox of, of sorts. Exactly, right. Because yeah. God is greater than nothingness. Yeah. yeah. Because God is inconceivable, mm-hmm. and the human mind, uh, when we attain liberation, self-realization, and later God-realization, it is inconceivable, and the mind, uh, there's a part of the mind that doesn't know how to handle the inconceivable, and that part of the mind is blown yeah. when you have this, this <laughs> yeah. experience. Now, yeah. luckily, the parts of the mind um, that, that help you survive in the world are not blown, because those have functions. Those are the functions of the mind, yeah. the intellect and the, the part of the mind that, that has the body, knows when to breathe, and all of those things. Those, those happen on their own. But the part of the mind that is filled with our own thoughts and suffering and conflicts, emotional things, all of that gets blown when you realize the truth. My understanding from what I have 
uh, in my conversations with people over the years, my understanding of Sanskrit, for example, is that it is sort of the first language. And I, I was interviewing uh, the Swami who actually in London teaches or there's a school that actually teaches Sanskrit. And they've been monitoring, for example, the not specifically the brain activities like these people are wired up as they're studying Sanskrit and so forth, but their progression. And they're noticing that there is a difference in the way in which they now think and perceive things. It's not that the Sanskrit that they're learning per se is saying and in terms of the words themselves, but the fact that they're studying this language is affecting their their brain structure, similar to a, a, a musical concept that I came across called the Mozart effect. Okay, great. And yeah. I'm wondering about that in terms of the power of words. Um, I'll give you one final little example here. Hebrew, the Hebrew language, the 22 letters of the alphabet. Each letter, each character, and I'm sure you know this, has its own legend. It has its own tone. It has its own numerical rating. has its own story. And then you start putting the letters together into words, creates a whole new list of that legend. You put those words together with other words to sentences and then paragraphs and books. But then when you translate that language, that, those characters, into another language, you tend to lose that yeah. legend, you, or I'll even put it, go this far, as a, I'll put this as a question to you, you lose the power of those words in that original language? Um, to some degree, I mean, you're right. When we talk strictly about language and we talk about the uh, he Hebrew alphabet and the Sanskrit alphabet, because those are the alphabets that are most known that contain this power. Now, Hawaiian also is one of those languages that you intone correctly and has that kind of power. And I would uh, think that the uh, Aborigines also have uh, a language system that has that kind of power. And, of course, the other ones that, that we don't know about, mm -hmm. but that I don't know about in particular. Um, but, yeah, these systems are there for us to develop the soul. Again, all of this is about purific uh, purifying and developing and evolving the soul so that the soul can contain and hold the realization of God in its various ways that God will be realized as we progress on the spiritual path. Mm. There is one concept that I have never been able to wrap my brain around, and, and now we're talking about a different kind of power. I've never been able to wrap my brain around the concept of an individual or a group of individuals wanting power and control over other human beings. I've been a manager on a number of occasions in different radio stations. Uh, and the last thing I want is, uh, is that job because I'm, st I'm as stuck as I am making them. As a matter of fact, my goal is I want to teach everybody that's working where I'm working everything that I know so that I can move on and do new things. Yeah, that's a great attitude. Yeah. The power and control, or, or I should say that the power that we're talking about has nothing to do with manipulation. It has nothing to do with uh, coercion uh, or, or any of those other terms that, we could, that I could come up with. It has no. to... Go ahead. 
Yeah, on the higher levels it doesn't, but but on the lower levels sometimes people will will do that. Yeah, uh, and some some yogic traditions as well as other traditions do um, do want to gain certain powers mm-hmm. of influence, etc. My tradition uh, and many many true traditions avoid those kinds of powers that come as we evolve our soul. Uh, those yeah. are things to avoid and not. Um, get involved with. I think for me anyway, <clears throat> in terms of some of the things we've talked about on this program, uh, the one story of uh, a Parma, of a Yogananda's, um, uh, the Tiger Swami epitomizes that, that he finally realized, hey, uh, it's not about taming the, the tigers in the real world. It's about taming the tigers within. That's where, yeah. the, that's the power that I need to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. The Power Project is the title of the book. My guest is Paramahansa Jagadish, and uh, he is available through the Power, the, I beg your pardon, through the Prayer hyphen, hyphen Project.com. That's the Prayer hyphen Project.com. There's also another site, a website called Stewardship of the Soul.com. And this is where uh, both of these locations, you can download a free copy of the book, The Prayer Project. And uh, also, uh, you, I, I would take it that this, uh, for example, this uh, Prayer uh, Project pledge, is that something that that you have that you'd want to, uh, you just take it? Or is there something that you would actually sort of click a button to sign online and become a participant in that regard as well? You know, I don't know exactly. My assistant is doing all of that work. Oh, okay. All and right. So we we want this to be um, as free uh, and as enticing as possible for everyone. And so do do whatever you feel to do, but kindly download the book for free. Order the book online if you want a physical, you know, copy of it, mm-hmm. or or print one, print the free one that you'll sure. get, and participate in every way that you can. You know, we know that if you do this as a dedication, that's why we want people to dedicate to it, that there's a lot of greater good that that is uh, accompanying that. A lot of uh, very good karma comes when you commit to something, and you get to go through your resistance. You get to notice the resistance that comes up on any given day. I don't feel like it. And you put that resistance aside, and you still do the prayers anyway. And you grow. Uh, spiritually by doing this. And then when you cultivate these prayers and doing them every day and do them to benefit others, you find that your life improves dramatically at times and your happiness quotient improves more and more and more. Mm. So it's really a great self-benefit by committing oneself to doing this project. The Prayer Project, the three minutes, three times a day solution for world change by Paramahansa Jagadish Das. It's published by Golden Avatar Press. And before we go, I, I, I'm constantly, as we're doing this interview, I'm constantly flipping through the book and I come back to appendices or appendix three. The history of prayer. Are we hardwired to be in contact with our creator? And I guess uh, for those who do believe that there is a higher power, a creator, I I have to say that based upon my understanding, limited as it may be, of the universe as it works, I didn't create myself. And there's something within me that says, this is not an accident. So my (laughs) life has meaning. Ergo, there must be something out there that 
kind of started this ball rolling. Are we indeed hardwired? I think so, yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) Definitely, God resides within the heart of all living beings. That is something one can realize as truth, that that is actually true. Um, It's sort of inescapable, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's inescapable. (laughs) And and we can see that... um, you know, like um, one person goes to school, they get dedicated to school, and they eventually become a virtuoso violinist. Another person goes to school, and they become one of the great brain surgeons uh, on the planet. Um, these things are just a little bit of an indication, or someone joins the Shaolin priesthood and does the secret trainings that they do, and they're able to become light as a feather or as heavy as a mountain, they're able to withstand someone uh, with a sword coming, uh, a knife or a sword coming to them. They're able to channel their chi so that they will not get get injured by such a person. Um, there's all kinds of inconceivable powers uh, that we can gain through practicing certain things. Mm-hmm. And if we want to go to the spiritual path, then we find a true, genuine spiritual tip path that we can uh, climb or or travel on, and we can eventually meet God face-to-face within one lifetime, within this lifetime. But it takes dedication, and the prayer project can lead you to uh, to those kinds of experiences. Three, six, nine, twelve. You have 12 specific symbols on the cover of the book encircling a golden earth. Are those the 12 main religious symbols of the 12 main belief systems that you uh, uh, gathered this inf- these prayers from? Uh, or is this just all that would fit around, <laughs> fit around the circle? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember this far back because I, I wrote a series of books. I wrote maybe a total of 10 different books mm-hmm. um, over about a seven-year period, all, all, most of which were 10 years ago that I wrote. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, so, um, so yeah, some of the major things are, are there. There's some minor ther- things there. There's the Sikh tradition is represented. Um, um, and there's some uh, Shinto, I think, is there. Yes. So I, I like, I wanted something that represented uh, some of the minor traditions that have a, a wealth of uh, virtue to them and uh, uh, a wealth of information um, about them. And the other symbol, the dove, of course, with the light behind it, is a beautiful, beautiful symbol. And then the arms that are holding up the earth, uh, two of those arms are actually His Holiness the Dalai Lama's arms. Really? Yeah, and, um, of course, I had uh, a graphic artist do this, and and um, to this day I don't know which exact arms are his, <laughs> because there was no time for him to tell me which exact arms are his. Well, I think that's extraordinary, and again, we're talking about, of course, the power in words, but also the power in images. Uh, yes. Even, even the energetics within an image are, are quite extraordinary, so... Um, just for the <laughs> just for that sake alone, you might want to grab a copy of the book. I think that's pretty neat. The Prayer Project, uh, Paramansa Jagadish Das. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. I have three final questions to ask you. Okay, great. Who is Paramahansa Jagadish Das? Um, just a dedicated uh, practitioner on the path to God. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? To galvanize a huge community of millions of people all over the planet to affect personal and global upliftment and illumination. And who inspires you? My spiritual teacher who has passed away, but who visits me regularly, and God herself, original source God. Mm. And, and who is your, again, who is your spiritual teacher? My teacher, I, uh, I have two, there are several names he has, but if you gather his titles together, is Siddha Moni Baba Avadut. Um, and his uh, several other names that he has is Kishori Kishore Anand Baba, Tinkuri Goswami. Hmm. I may have to uh, do some phonetic spelling and look that look those up and uh, and uh, do some more research in that regard. But needless to say, Paramhansa Jagadish Das, thank you so much. This has been a great pleasure, and I encourage you folks to not only pick up a copy of the Prayer Project together. We can change the world. It's three minutes, three times a day. Solution for world change and available at theprayer-project.com. And again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, love to lol.